With traffic, errands, and parking, cars can be a chore. But a great car can be an adventure, a getaway, and a prized possession. Whatever your budget or family require, there's a car out there you'll love. We're here to help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Up until this moment, nobody knew that you made barbecue sauce. I don't think, at least. Because you don't really advertise, do you? No, uh, I don't have a food license, so it's not oh, something that. I can normally sell. I know, it's a whole weird thing. <laughs> well, guys, uh, you're probably so it's a friends and family who, thing. You're wondering who this voice is, and it is Nate Kuhn, our motorcycle reviewer, and he is an autocross enthusiast and barbecue super freak. Can I put you in the super freak category? Maybe? I'm partially. I'm a partially retired super freak. Yeah. Um, okay. I I don't compete anymore. Uh, we think about it all the time, but it's just a whole lot of work with not a whole lot of payoff. And uh, that's right. You my wife compete. Yeah. Oh yeah. For years. For years. So the weird thing about barbecue contests are uh, well, there's a lot of weird things, and I won't bore us with that for too long. But the long and short of it is, is that my wife and I uh, were a team together. Cat Daddy's Barbecue. Nice. And, nice. Uh, <laughs> and it just sounds cool. Start, it just sounds it, like, it, oh, it, he knows It sounds like doing. a place I want to go. If I drove past the Cat Daddy's Barbecue restaurant, I'd be like, oh, that place is going to rock. How about a roadside so, stand? You see, like, bottles of Cat Daddy's Barbecue. You'd be like, I'm buying absolutely. something, right? So, yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> when we started, um, we were about the youngest team in this area to, to be competing. So we had kind of like low expectations and we just kind of wanted to see what's what. The joke about barbecue is, is that everyone thinks their barbecue is the best. But when you go to compete, sure. you actually find out if you're right or not. So we had pretty okay. low expectations. We just wanted to have fun. Yeah. And after a few years, we were one of the best teams in the Chicagoland area consistently. That is and, cool, man. That is so cool. Yeah. So after that, it was sort of just like, well, now do we do just keep doing the same thing over and over and keep getting like, you know, maybe first place or third place this month or fifth place this month. I'm so tired of first place. I'm going to quit. Well, (laughs) no, it's kind of like a caliber thing. I mean, it's any given day. Anyone can win, but it is kind of like a tiered thing. If you're a top team, you're always going to be in that upper tier. If you're a mid pack team, you can't expect to win the next day. But if you get okay. into that place where you're one of the better ones and it's basically a top 10 of, say, 70 or 80 team, then every time, unless you screw something up, you're pretty much going to be in the top 10. Sure, now, that sure. might be you get ninth every single time, but that person can expect to maybe win the next time. But it doesn't mean you're going to win every single time. But like once you can consistently be in that top 10 tier, there's nothing else to do. Sure. You know what I mean? You don't see any barbecue restaurants that are like ninth place winners. Like, okay, right. I'm not that hungry. I guess maybe we'll keep driving. I don't know. Right? Is it was the eighth down the street or something? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so where, where is it? No. So after a few years <laughs> of sort great. of consistently being at the top of the groups around, it just became like a oh, this is going to cost us three hundred dollars in meat. It's going to take up every minute of a three day weekend. Yeah. I'm not going to sleep. It's going to be back breaking to load the truck and trailers and all this kind of stuff and it's like why we already did way better than we ever thought we would when we started this so unless like, you're I, you selling know, like, food or making money or something like that completely right? yeah off like okay we won or we got a place and now we sold a whole bunch of food and happy customers and blah right and right? i'm and i'm not opening up a restaurant so forget about it so <laughs> well, now i just cook for friends <laughs> well speaking of which i think todd 
if he had his druthers, he would inject barbecue sauce directly in because he is a barbecue fiend. He, he's an aficionado, and I do not yeah. consider myself on that level, but he would. And by the way, Nate will maybe add you to the Christmas barbecue sauce list if you know him <laughs> I'm, I'm selling him a little bit here and maybe causing him some extra work. But I did ask Nate to join me on the podcast because Todd is on a small vacation right now and so well-deserved. He's uh, away, but I asked Nate to step in and talk motorcycles. He's got a really cool motorcycle trip that he completed this year, and I want to have him tell the audience a little bit about that, and then we've got a cool car debate coming up. Lots of questions, and I love that everybody asked you questions. There's some specific motorcycle questions in here that I hope you caught that I hope you can answer, and Absolutely. Uh, we'll get to that. But yeah, Todd is uh, into the barbecue thing. I, I like barbecue. Don't get me wrong. I like Thai food and Chinese and Italian and Mexican, and I, I like a variety. I think Todd could eat barbecue all the time, really. And his wife made some a dinner with your sauce the other day, by the way. I don't think you know this. And I No, it was there when I was there. Well, uh, when it you was were there, being but then served. she made another one. Then she had me over after you had left. Mm. And I just thought, man, is this good? I Thank you. Delicious. And I thought maybe you could mix in some autocross burnt Yokohama to really make it the smoky flair. I don't know. We'll see. It, it, it's a secret. I, I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Right. Um, no, but seriously, it's great to be here. I'm so happy to be a part of it. Been listening to this podcast since the beginning, like a lot of the listeners have been, and it's an honor. So I cool, hopefully man. I can step in and fill the big shoes of Mr. Deacon awesome. and, uh, the audience hasn't tuned out by now. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, Saturday, July 25, 2020, TV season seven, new content begins. And I want everybody to know that I'm publicizing this a little bit early because this does begin the new content that Todd and I have worked for for season seven. So we've had a few reruns up to now, and reruns are not a bad thing. As a matter of fact, a lot of sponsors love reruns, and it's, it gives us a chance to show episodes that you might not have seen. But Saturday, July 25, 2020, is when the new content begins on the Motor Trend Cable Channel. And we went to an area called Capitol Reef National Park in central Utah. I'm seeing distant scenery on the drone footage that I didn't even see when I was there. So I'm really excited to share this. And the good news is this will be coming to Amazon sooner as our older TV episodes continue to come to YouTube. And uh, it's always surprising to me to see comments on there. And you're like, oh, this is old. I'm thinking, well, people watch old episodes of Overhauling and Top Gear and all this stuff. I'm thinking that the information is still relevant if you're shopping. doesn't matter that the car isn't used. So we will continue to do that. And uh, thank you guys for your support. But I do want to mention a huge thanks to our TV sponsors, Haggerty, Griot's Garage, Covercraft and Auto Tempest. You've heard us talk about those companies and we're proud to be a part of their families too. So please support as you hear the ads, as you hear things that interest you and, and use the code from the debates to be able to take advantage of products and services from them. Nate, welcome. I'm really thrilled to have you, man. This is going to be pretty interesting because you had this motorcycle trip that I, I want you to set up for the audience, but being the bike guy that you are, you've ridden these, the K-car equivalent of bikes recently. Yeah. <laughs> you were just cackling telling me about it because on this trip, Nate came through Park City on July 4th and stopped by for a very short time, just a few hours to watch some fireworks and have a little bit of food, which was great. 
And so he stopped by with his dad and his uncle on this monster motorcycle trip. But I thought you could just talk about the trip itself, but you know, just the road trip in general and kind of the impetus for it. And we love road trips, of course, with family or friends or whatever that is. But I thought you could Absolutely. just dive in. First of all, set it up and then tell us how, you know, 11 months later things continued and you don't, you don't know what I'm referring to, but I want you to. Yes, of, of course. So um, I, first and foremost, I have been, uh, I've lived in the Chicago area my entire life, pretty much. And as anyone who's ever come to the Midwest knows, there's nowhere good to take a road trip in the Midwest as far as scenery or what we like as enthusiasts. No, good roads or good vistas and mountain passes. And there's none of that. Cars, we have corn. And I know you like donut with cars as well. So, but absolutely love the bike thing. The thing is, the difference I find is that why I like the motorcycle touring so much more than a car road trip, which I do like is they're just so different. Like you don't think about how different they are until you've experienced both. But what I love about motorcycle trips is it's one, it might sound cliche, but it's 100% of the journey and not the destination. Because in a car, in a car trip, even if you are in a sports car or a GT car and you plan to go through some good places, the car trip starts with a, where are we going to go? And at some point you're just getting there. And there will be moments in that car trip, even if you are in a cool car going through a mountain pass, there will be points of the car trip where an hour goes by and you just kind of, you're still just sitting there and just kind of droning out. You know, you listen to audiobooks or a podcast or, you're, you know, something else <laughs> takes your mind away from the boring parts sure. of every trip. Sure, yeah. And there's almost no road trip in the world that doesn't have at least some boring parts. Now, the thing is with the motorcycle trip, there is no moment where you're just kind of spacing out. You're aware and hyper aware the entire time. Although I've seen bikers that I think were, especially when they're blasting, you know, Mariah Carey on their in bike speakers and they're just cruising along, heels up and going, "What planet are you on?" Okay, it's I'm a just... terrible look. <laughs> <laughs> no, so but I mean, like, so for example, you the 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 weather is unescapable, and you know, in even in a convertible, it's not the same. I've done it, and it's not the same. Every time there's a cloud passes in front of the sun, you feel that five degree drop instantly yeah, and it chills. Do. Yeah, you do. And and if it starts sprinkling, you're hyper aware of the weather. You're watching the clouds 25 miles away to see if that storm's going to pass over your path or not. And what do you do about Thinking it? Thinking about your contact patch that's, that's the size yeah. of a quarter yeah, on a the road. Quarters. And, you know, okay, it's getting greasy. What part, what third of the lane do I ride in? And, you know. Totally. But the thing is, that. like, the visceralness of it is just spellbounding i mean i can tell you that i don't know what they pave the highways in oregon with but it's different than what they use in the material in other states it has a reddish hue to it and the texture of that concrete uh it has a more coarse grit sandpaper to it it's really grippy and it sticks and it's smooth and it's unlike anything else the rest of the country uses and like why would you care but when you're on a motorcycle, like that's the thing you notice the second you cross over the state line. You're like, oh, I know we crossed into Oregon because it's that reddish stuff that grips like sandpaper. Rear end told you. Like, oh, right. It's ooh. all of that kind of sensory input that's just unique and it's really special. But anyway, the the motorcycle trips. So we 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 have to leave the Midwest to get anywhere good. And I've been every year I take at least one, if not two, pretty long trips. And by long, you know, two to three, maybe even four thousand miles in a week or week That's and impressive, a half. Impressive, man. That's a lot of seat time on a bike. It is not know. easy. <laughs> that, that's a lot. So the last couple of years we've tried out a new thing. See, 
to leave the Midwest, you need to spend a day or two just getting out of the Midwest. So if we head towards <laughs> you, like, right. so right, the Rockies are a thousand miles away from me, due west. And I can hop on a highway and get there in two long days of boring interstate. Sheesh. And we've done that before. I mean, I've ridden from here all the way to the coast, you know, the Pacific coast numerous times. Right. I've been to right. most of the lower 48 states. But after all these years, 15 years doing this every single year, we're just getting tired of that first and last two days of getting there and coming back. So we've gotten a little extra with our traveling. Um, so, a little creative. Uh, so this year, I just got, like you said, I was there a couple weeks ago in the Utah. And um, this year was part two of a two-part trip. And this is going to sound crazy, but I tell you, it's the way to go. <laughs> okay. Okay. So... Two years ago, or a year ago, last summer, we left here, and we rode with the goal of getting to New Mexico. That was your dad so, and your uncle and you, right? Just the three correct, of us? Correct. Okay. The three of us. All right. And, uh, but we kind of, during the planning phases, realized that we don't really like riding out west anymore, because we've done it a million times, and it's mostly boring. So, we hopped on an Amtrak train in Wisconsin, and we took an overnight in a sleeper car and we woke up at eight o'clock the next morning in North Dakota. And we got off the train in North Dakota at the stop and we took an Uber to where our bikes were because we had shipped them out in advance to be at a Harley Davidson dealership in the middle of nowhere, North Dakota. So, <laughs> so we got to start. Funny. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I was at work. I did a half day's worth of work on like the Wednesday before Wednesday night. I'm on a train Thursday morning. I'm on a bike in North Dakota. Just cut out that whole garbage That's thousand miles of getting out there. Gears. That's gotta be like, wait, I was just I, working. It was, it was crazy. How am I here? So, right. So last year was like North Dakota, Wyoming. We went through Colorado um, and we did a lot of cool stuff along the way. We ended up in New Mexico. We went whitewater rafting in Taos. We went uh, downhill mountain biking. That was the first time I've ever done that. We did that at Snowmass uh, by Aspen. Nice. And we did a lot of little nice. cool adventure stopovers along the way. It was great. So at the end of the trip, we were in New Mexico, and we actually rented a storage unit, just like at a public storage unit, a drive-up one. We threw three motorcycles in there with stabilizer in the gas tanks and uh, – Locked the door, hopped on a plane, and came home. That was now, all last oh, year, right? Okay. That so was all last year. Left the so, bikes locked up. Yeah, it, like halfway across the country. <laughs> okay. So this is the this is the upside of having multiple motorcycles is that you can do this. So uh, sure. and before you get then before you get two first world problems on me, all my bikes are pretty cheap. So okay. <laughs> so it's caveat, not like caveat. I'm like. Jay-Z sending out my brand new $30,000 bike out there. Like, no, that's not the situation. I was going to leave this in the storage locker for 11 months. I don't care. Whatever. Exactly. So this year we flew out. We started our trip in New Mexico because we had to retrieve the motorcycles. Right. So we right. flew to Santa Fe. We went and got the bikes out of storage. And luckily, within five minutes, they were all started and running and riding, which was amazing. We had big fingers crossed there. Were the tires um, like flat spotted? Did you do anything? No. Or did you just put them on their we, kickstands and shut the door? Pretty much. I mean, I, I we we threw stabilizer in the gas tank. We turned the pet cocks off. Then we ran the carburetors dry okay. so that it wouldn't get gummed up. I mean, that was pretty smart. We've done the batteries this or anything, or just like uh, we're good. Honestly, no, we didn't. So. I know. So we brought a little, one of those little jump packs, you know, that'll like jumpstart a bike just right, in case, right. you know, we figured if we can get one going and with leads, we can get another ones going. All we need is one good one. Right. But exactly. 
And we had to use one of those jump packs once when we did this, but this time they just fired right up. I'm not even kidding you. It was like 12 seconds and one of them was on. One of them took a minute to, of kicking over a little bit and some pumping on the, uh, with the throttle. And the other one was about 15 seconds with a, with a heavy choke and it was golden. We couldn't believe it. So anyway. Oh my gosh. And that I was know. almost a full year later. Just- it was 11 months and some change. Um, <laughs> I know. And these things are, these bikes were 22 years old and they just rocked. So I I was really, really excited. And so that was a good way to start the trip. But this year was sort of like the, uh, last year we did that sort of north-south corridor. And this year we did the same thing. We just kind of kicked it over a state. So we left Santa Fe and we headed towards um, Lake Powell at the the top edge of Arizona. Okay, right, right. We We stayed the night there on the lake and rented a boat and cruised around a little bit for a couple hours. And then we started heading towards Bryce Canyon the next night, and we stayed on the rim, like at a cabin, right on the edge, like forty yards away from the cliff, which is unbelievable. Showed me beautiful. photos, and I didn't believe it. <laughs> he showed me photos, you know, because when he finally got to us, and we knew, you know, that Nate yeah. was coming. He had planned the trip, and he knew that he was going to swing through Park City. And uh, you know, he got he was there and was telling us about. Yeah, we stayed right on the rim. There, were, you know, you could have just walked right off, and people yeah. were walking around at night, apparently way down in there with flashlights, and you're just standing they got there watching something. Going, I hope I hope they get out because we're going yeah. to bed. Sorry, it was like ten forty-five at night. It was pitch dark, like you could barely see your hand in front of your face, and we saw like two headlight flashlights of people getting lost somewhere in the canyon. <laughs> And we're just sitting there, like on a, on a log bench, uh, fifteen feet away from the rim, just watching these two headlights in the middle of the night just go kind of wander around in circles, getting lost. While we're you know sipping on a couple beers before we went to sleep oh that gosh. night, oh it was gosh. awesome. <laughs> so we left Bryce, then we headed towards Park City, where we spent the evening with you guys. Yes, um, yes. July Fourth, which fireworks was, in every yeah, direction. And, exactly, oh, that, was nice. that was nice. That was awesome. So and I have you here. and it's so weird because. You, we don't see each other all that often in person. And we, and we realized it had been nearly two years since the last time I saw you. Which, which I can't believe. Yeah, that was the Utah I know, bonkers. two years ago. The first one. Yeah. First one, right. Okay, all right. Man. So after we left there, uh, the next morning we headed um, to through Idaho into Montana. Um, and then we did a, a couple, you know, cool activities abound every single time we stopped. Um, we rode this bicycle mountain bike trail called the Hiawatha Trail in like Montana and Idaho. It's on the border okay. and it's a bucket list thing. Anyone's got to do. It's awesome. It's really? like, it's this mountain pass that used to be for a train, like a railroad that connected uh, Chicago and Wisconsin to Seattle. And it's long, it was made in like 1905 or something. And it's long been decommissioned, but someone had the foresight to, take all the railroad ties out and just sort of smooth out a bike trail. So it's the size of a train track, a single train track, you know, so, you know, 20 feet or 18 feet wide or something. And uh, it's a bike trail and the whole thing is downhill. So you don't have to be like a huge athlete. I don't actually like bicycles at all. Um, <laughs> Which but, is so ironic. <laughs> I know. Um, so funny. But it's 14 and a half mile trail and it's entirely downhill, like on a one and a half percent grade. So you can almost just coast for three hours and just see the most beautiful scenery in the world. Um, wow. It's just hidden in the middle of Idaho. There's like a two mile long tunnel that you have to use a headlight for. Otherwise, you can't see. And it's Seriously? crazy. Okay, yeah, it's really, really cool. Well, it doesn't you need sound to, like it's you guys need to do it from here. No, it's it's a day's drive away from you guys. Um, it's it's right like an hour west of Missoula, Montana, which is yeah, it's like That's a one day bad. drive away. That's not bad. No, no, it's like I think three hundred and fifty miles away from you guys. 
Okay. Maybe 400. It's not that bad. Oh, this sounds um, amazing. Oh, you got to do it. It's awesome. I'll show you guys pictures later. Okay. Maybe I'll I'll probably post that somewhere on the articles at some point when I get around to writing about it. It was yes, neat. yes. Post those up because everybody <laughs> want to know. Because yeah, I mean that's amazing. I'd love to do that. Um, so uh, after that, then we went up towards Glacier National Park um, in Kalispell or right by Kalispell. And okay. this this year was also a new thing where we flew wives out towards the end of the bike trip. Cause we honestly get really guilty. We feel really guilty coming back from these amazing voyages that like, basically we don't share with <laughs> think, our significant say, others. Let me see the pictures from your trip. And you're like, no, no, my wife not. doesn't ever want to. Oh, she doesn't want to because of that. She's reason? like, I come home. She's like, how was your trip? I said, it was amazing. She's like, that's cool. What do you want for dinner tonight? And she doesn't want to know because she doesn't, you know, she doesn't like, uh, it's like the whole FOMO thing, like the fear of missing out thing. Yeah. She doesn't so after all these times, we kind of felt guilty. The last year was crazy with the rafting trip and stuff. We felt really bad. So my idea last year was like, hey, maybe they can meet us out for a couple of days at the end. And, and everyone, you know, the three of us thought that was a really great idea. So um, my mom came out. My wife came out. I didn't know your and, mom came. That's cool. Yeah. And then my uncle's girlfriend was supposed to come out, but she had a family thing and she couldn't make it. But okay. the plan was to have three plus three, you know, for about three days in right, uh, right around Glacier. So we did that and they came out and my wife rode in the bike a little bit, but we didn't do much riding once they got there, but we stayed on Lake McDonald. That's the one that everyone knows that has the photographs of like the colored rocks in the water on the lake oh, by the mountains. Sure. Yeah. And it was really beautiful. We stayed there for the night, right on the lake again, just 15 yards away from the water. And, um, we stayed in a new place each night. So we were up at like uh, whitefish Lake and we went zip lining we went rafting in Glacier National Park um it, that was amazing and the six of us went rafting it was just really cool and then we flew home and had the bike shipped home so we didn't have to do any of that garbage riding like it was 95 percent <laughs> awesome which is great because the next time i gotta leave from here and come home here it's gonna figure it out it's sort of like the the white glove you've done it yourself what various travel and tour companies come up with and they think you know they say oh we'll ship your bikes for you we'll ship your luggage do all this stuff for you you've kind of figured that this out and done it yourself you're right. And it's not, it's not super cheap. I mean, as you might imagine, it costs like five, 600 bucks to ship a bike across the country. That's about However, the price of a car, I suppose. Well, eh, right. Third, but, maybe. But, well, here's, here's the thing though, because if you do it one at a time, you know, um, so the key is this, the alternative to, if you want to go, if you are from Chicago, like me, and you want to go somewhere far away, i.e. somewhere 1500 miles away, that's a 3000 mile round trip if you take the interstate and don't even get on a good road. And we almost never take the interstate at all on these trips. It's all just two-lane blacktop back roads. We try to make it as great as possible. Right, right. Yeah. So if I, need, if I want to go to California, if I want to ride in California and I'm going to ride there and back, that's like a minimum two weeks. That's like a, most, a lot of people's whole year of vacation in one shot. And most of it is done riding through like Kansas and stuff. It's terrible. Yeah, like nothing so, against Wyoming, but wow. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, Western Wyoming, great, but Eastern and, and like one day and one time I rode across Montana in one day. And like once you get past Dead. the mountains, it's terrible. Yeah. So On purpose? <laughs> yeah, it was just getting home, you know? Yeah. So the problem with that is er, so the alternative is this, right? If you if you have a plane ticket and you can book it in advance, and we usually plan these trips, you know, eight, nine months ahead of time. So right, you can get right. pretty cheap plane tickets if you if you plan carefully enough. And then 
you know, five, 600 bucks to ship a bike, you're at under a thousand dollars. Now that seems ridiculous for one day's travel for you and a motorcycle. But if you were in California or Nevada and you're trying to get back to Chicago, how many hotel nights is that going to be? How yeah. many gas stops? How many times you have to feed yourself in those three or four days to get home? It ends up being about the same. So you may as well just ship the thing, fly yourself home for a grand, and then just not have to do that garbage once you've done it a million times. See, now my mind's wandering. I'm thinking, okay, what if you stored a car, just got a storage unit in California? Yeah. Just That's your storage unit. Just you know, keep vehicles <clears throat> there and you just fly out whenever you want. Yeah. Well, what? Like Matt Fair has got that whole garage thing going on now. I mean, he like, does, I mean, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty decent location. I mean, you could. I, you could. I'm half inclined to send one of my motorcycles or ride one out and leave it in one of you guys' garages and just come out there a few times a year and blast around. Like, I mean, you'll see me in the evening for dinner, but I'm going to be gone during the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we could get some bikes here. You can review it on some roads around here. Cause you know, that'd be, that'd be cool. I'm that'd be much better. I'm than just, trying to find more interesting cornfields where I do it now. Sure. Yeah. Well, you have little <laughs> minis on the freeway, which I still can't believe you did that. I. It's not the, recommended. The fear. Is that a new feeling, new introduction to some fear there, I guess? No. I'm not sure I, I would I have done that. I'll be honest. I don't, I don't have a healthy fear of much. Um, so <laughs> it wasn't scary to me. I was actually amused. And, if uh, once I once I finally get this, I might put a little like two second or you know thirty second outtake at the end or whatever because there's a there's a basically a selfie cam of me trying to hit the max speed in this little tiny bike and I'm counting out the the miles per hour as they climb and I'm not counting very rapidly as you might imagine. I mean, and it's, I, it's almost newsworthy, you know, Chicago idiot riding this stupid thing on the freeway almost right. gets mowed down by I don't know a Camry. There's a the road that I actually live on, the speed limit of the road is 50 miles an hour. So, and around here, everyone treats the speed limit as a suggestion of a low end. So, I mean, basically everyone's going 60, 65 down right at my end of my driveway. Oh my gosh. So anything you leave my, I mean, I have a long driveway, kind of like Todd's long driveway, which the viewers have heard about before. Yeah. yeah. Nearly that long. So it's not like I'm right on top of it. It's not miserable, but when you leave my driveway, if it's busy, you kind of have to get up to speed quickly. And these just don't. They just don't. <laughs> I was going to say, they're the opposite of what you need, which is right. It's a, it, it, it's pretty dumb. But so by the time I made it to a even faster road, my fear had already had to be eclipsed because like I had to leave the driveway to get there. Um, <laughs> but build, like, uh, on ramps and off ramps into your driveway. Do you have the property to do that? I do, uh, except for it doesn't really matter. You just need to own fast stuff, and most of the motorcycles are plenty quick. Sheesh. I mean, one of my my KTM that's been in the review from last year can basically hit 65 in the width of the next house next to me. So like one, like a half of a block, it'll already be going 70 if, I, if I'm so inclined to take off that fast. So it's, it's all right. Well, before we break, what other things do you have planned? What other kinds of bikes are you thinking about for future reviews? Just curious. Well, this year's been really weird. I had a lot of cool plans that got canceled because everything got canceled this yeah, year. So I've did. been I've been scrambling to get to kind of fill my my docket with. Um, I have a kind of like a help shopping comparison of various types of a bike. I don't want to give too much away. That's um, good. That'll be actually helpful. I think. Yeah, I, it's basically, it's like. In this country, cruisers are like the most popular motorcycle type of all. Yep. And yep. obviously people just kind of gravitate towards like, I want a Harley. And they don't even know what a model what models are, but they just think they want a Harley. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like it's one of those like cautionary tales like 
well, what if you don't necessarily want a Harley? Like, what are you in for? Like, if you don't already automatically want a Harley, what else is there out there that can kind of fill that need? So I got a few different examples of how to do that. I like it. Um, Like I said, the minis episode, I think that might end up being two different ones. And uh, I, uh, and I have, I was supposed to do something that got canceled and it might get rescheduled. And it's sort of like a similar to your drift school. Um, it's a driving seminar thing. I don't know if it's going to get rescheduled, but if not, I'm totally going to do it next year. But like I said, everything's up in the air this year and I might be buying a new motorcycle this year. So maybe we'll take a look at that too. I don't know. Really? All right. I also got, uh, into doing a little bit of like really low end motocross this year and some dirt bike action. Nice. That it wouldn't necessarily be a review, but maybe we'll see a little bit of that this year. Just got to get out and do it because everything has been locked down until about three weeks ago uh, where I live. So well, now, you know, just stick a camera every time you go out. Now, I can't even <laughs> drive a car unless there's a camera running somewhere. I, I don't know how to operate the car. If the camera's running, I'm fine. But yeah, just stick a camera on the helmet or something when you go out. I will do that. One thing you can never have enough of is car stuff, and that's why we love Haggerty Drivers Club. Starting at $45 a year, you'll get six issues of their award-winning Haggerty Drivers Club magazine, chock full of interesting reads and beautiful photos. And you'll get access to members-only live streams on topics like car values, automotive history, and do-it-yourself tutorials. Plus, membership comes with tons of automotive discounts, including a deal of the week, which is always an incredible deal and lasts only a couple of days. If you love cars half as much as we do, this is the club for you. Learn more at Haggerty.com slash Everyday Driver. Summer's here, and with that comes sunshine and blistering hot car interiors. I know that leather seat seemed like a great idea at the time until you scalded your legs. All you need is a custom sunscreen from Covercraft. These foldable sunscreens fit perfectly in the windshield of your car, and they keep your car a lot cooler while you're off enjoying the sunshine or whatever you're doing. I have used these for years, and I'm telling you, I swear by them. These custom sunscreens from Covercraft are available in a whole range of colors, and they're a simple, affordable way for you to keep your car cooler all summer long and protected from damaging UV rays all year long. We swear by our custom sunscreens from Covercraft. It's one of our favorite car accessories. And remember, you can get 10% off your car sunscreen by using the code EVERYDAY right now at Covercraft.com, or you can follow the link from our sponsors page. Charlie is writing to us from Tampa, Charlie D, and he's looking for something 80s. But let me explain. He says he's 43, resides in Tampa, Florida, and he currently owns a 2014 GX460 and a 2013 Camry SE. By the way, short of owning a boat, why? Th- this might sound strange, but why do you need an SUV in Florida? I know to tow a boat. <laughs> if you have a boat, get a Suburban and tow, tow your boat. I get it. But Rat videos? Maybe, but people movers, okay, but don't you want a car because of the vast roads? Anyway, all right. Well, he's got a three- and a five-year-old son, so two sons, and his wife is very much not a car person, although she loves Jag ragtops from the aughts. She says she's a classy broad. Think Long Island accent as she says that, and I can't do a Long Island accent, so I'm not even going to try. I'm going to do it later. <laughs> of course you Of course you are. (laughs) Charlie's driven many vehicles over the years. He says he's not enamored with Hondas, so much so that he repeats himself many times in the email. He goes, I don't like Hondas, don't like Honda S2000s. He did own an 04 manual GTO. He said he enjoyed it, but he wasn't in love with it. That's where all the GTOs are, Charlie. They're down in Florida. All the good ones, perfectly perfectly preserved, 
want to go to Florida for that shop there. He says he was living high on the hog compared to the Camry and he loves power, but he says the most fun he ever had driving a car was in a 1984 Nissan 200 SX and a 2001 IS 300. He says he was connected to the road and he could feel the car pulling in ways the GTO did not, even though it was demonstrably quicker. And he would prefer a manual here. He says if he could find a cheap enough car, think under $10,000 or so, he can get a third car. So we are shopping $10,000 or so for the third car for Charlie, unless he replaces the Camry, which has 120,000 miles on it. But of course, that's just barely broken in for a Camry. So he's looked at 80s Nissans. He says parts apparently are hard to find, but he wants something analog and he's you know kind of looking at nsx's but they're not 10 grand they, i don't think it will ever be 10 grand but he just we'd all have them if they were 10 grand man i keep seeing nsx's combine of you know all my searches and i think i think we've hit bottom i think we've kind of started the ramp slowly back in the other direction to be honest you mean Which, bottom is that they're getting more expensive i think so Oh, they have been for a while. I, I was looking at some, like, I mean, I wasn't really seriously. It was just that sort of, like, tire-kicking shopping that we all do. Yeah. Uh, maybe, like, seven, eight years ago, you could get your pick. Manual transmission, first-gen, pop-up headlight, NSX, for, like, 29000 I blame Bring a Trailer. It's their fault. <laughs> totally. Totally. Uh, yeah, no, I, yeah, they're... they're they don't make sense anymore, even though they're awesome cars. But they just kind of... I think they've phased out. Like, yeah. I think they're awesome. And if I had the, tons of money for a huge, like nice collection, but for normal people, it's too much money, even though they're really special and beautiful and cool. They're like too much money for what you're actually getting compared to what you can get for 40, 50,000. Now. I mean, you can get a lot of great stuff for that 50 grand. Now. Less, slightly used. For yeah, less no, exactly. Kind of performance. It's crazy. Oh, totally. All right. So they're doing I the Porsche thing. Them. And that's what Charlie looked at. He says he could have bought a 2007 and a half or a newer 911. He says now prices have gone crazy. He does not have 40 grand to drop on the third car. He saw there are Cayennes that have manuals and they look nice. He was thinking he wanted a car. I, Charlie, I don't think as good as Cayennes are. I don't think that's the solve here because what Charlie is looking for is the once or twice a week drive for an hour or two each way to Sarasota. So he says it'd be nice to have something like a touring car, GT car, maybe get rid of the Camry. And again, he says, I hate S2000s. He doesn't like VTEC. He wants to know the engine pulls right out of the gate, you know, ready to go, not, I'm not ready yet, kind of power. So you might want a turbo or a larger engine, larger displacement engine, but I'm curious as to what you came up with for Charlie here, knowing that he's got this Sarasota potential commute, knowing that, you know, he drives a Camry, a 2013 Camry, and it's fine, but maybe maybe we could get something different. Maybe we get him out of the Camry. What do you think? I wasn't positive on the email. It was very descriptive about a lot of great things, the important things, but the budget thing I wasn't sure on because if he goes with a third car and keeps the Camry, he's got around 10,000 or under 10,000. That's clear as day, but he never really mentions the total price. I mean, he talks about a 40,000 to drop on a third car, which obviously if he's shopping for 10, he doesn't have that 40 for that Porsche. I get that. But he never says like, if I sell the Camry, this is my purse. So I, I can only assume it's the Camry's about 7,000 bucks, maybe. So we're at maybe mid to high teens total. If he sells it, I was is that finding, where you were at? Well, I was finding, Twelve to 15000 for 2013 Camry SEs. 
depending okay. on the mileage, depending on the condition, but t- 11, 12 at the low end for a 2013 oh. Camry. So I'd say bump it up because you know, right. when people are vague, I just get to spend more of their money. Well, okay. So everybody listening, Todd's the constant and Paul has the Paul limiter. If anything, I'm going to go down. Okay. So, cause I, I, I love a good deal. I'm kind of, I'm very frugal with my car shopping. So I'm, I'm going to try to save you as much money as possible, All but right, Charlie. it doesn't really matter. Honestly, Charlie go for the third car. You think so? Uh, absolutely. Because I, I get a lot of reasons, but mainly it's like the Camry is perfect. I'm guessing it's paid for. It's perfect for what you're doing it, in that two hour to four hour a day drive a few times a week, or whatever. Yeah, sure. Just, just put miles in the Camry and who cares? But to have something bespoke as your third car, as someone who got their third or for the first time ever, I have a second car that is just for fun and a daily driver. And it's right. amazing. It's, it's so awesome. And it takes so much stress away from like why one thing has to do everything. Like we always talk about on the show, it's like get the right tool for the job. And yes, what I love yes. about the third car is it can be, it can do two things and it's fine. It has a place in the garage, but if you replace it, that next car has got big shoes to fill because it needs to do that Camry thing, but it also needs to be fun. And I feel like even for say 20, you know, $20,000 or something, I don't, I don't know how much better you can do than just having a third car. So I'm going all in on the third car. Cause okay. it's awesome at $10,000 then. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Okay. So um, what are you thinking? Okay. So first things first, why not that at IS 300? I mean, it's not necessarily like a sports car that most people would think of their 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 second car or their you know third car, including your wife's. But like, if you love it so much, usually people call in and they're trying to like justify what they really want. Here is you're doing the opposite, Charlie. You're name dropping this car that you just love. It's totally under ten thousand dollars if you want one. I, I, just go get one if you want. So that's that's the low hanging fruit. Go go buy one. I kind of think that 10 grand is pricey because most of those are getting to be almost 20 years old and they're just holding a decent value just because they're kind of unicorns. But if you love the unicorn, I mean, it's totally in that price bracket and just go drive it. The only real problem is with it is it's like you now have two four door sedans and that you'll end up, I mean, you'll end up driving the Lexus so much more often than the Camry and the Camry is just going to sit because there's nothing the Lexus won't do that the Camry won't. And it'll be just as reliable long term, I'm sure. So I don't know. So if you want to, just go get one. But that's not really where I landed. Okay. I have to mention it. You have the $10,000 thing. You're looking for, uh, you know, sports cars for the most part is kind of where we're all at. I mean, season four, episode three, cheap sports cars. My friend, <laughs> this is your episode. I mean, I'm plugging you guys' show today. But <laughs> I, appreciate I literally that. I literally watched that rerun three days ago. Did you really? Um, no kidding. Yeah. Uh, I have most of them on the DVR. I just kind of throw one on sometimes, but yeah, that one I watched and, um, in there, there's a few options. I would not recommend a $10,000 boxer for you. I just, I I wouldn't because I don't think that's the boxer you would want. And coming from like V8 stuff and you like that immediate power, I don't really think you're going to want to string out a 2.5 liter boxer. So I'm ditching that one. Okay. But I mean, C4 vet 10 grand buys a lot of C4 vet. It does. And you already said you like the 80s feel, the analog. And I know that those don't have the best steering feel, but as far as being like a living, breathing analog machine, I mean, a 94 Corvette is awesome for that. And you really liked your GTO as far as like the power and stuff, but it's the chassis that didn't really do it for you. And I think you said uh, the same goes with like a Camaro SS. Well, 
maybe take a similar engine layout, but throw it in a lighter, more bespoke, lower seating, stiffer car. Maybe that's going to be your ticket. I don't know. But I mean, for like eight grand, you can get one with 65,000 miles and it's like a 94 and you can get that all day long. So I feel like that's a decent one. And I wouldn't go like C5 because if, but for $10,000, a C5 Corvette is going to be clapped out. But a C4 vet, you can get a nice one for that. And then the other one I kind of went to in the cheap, the cheap sports cars, they, you know, you guys featured the 370Z. Now to to get 10 grand, you're in an automatic, you're in an 09, which is a good car, but by that rationale, just go to get a really nice manual transmission 350Z. I mean, they're so similar and they do all the same things that you're going to need. And I like the handling in the 370 better. However, Florida, just like where I live, you have straight long lines. You don't care about the handling difference between a 370 and a 350Z. Right. right. So, but then again, we got the classy broad. So what I really thought of, (laughs) and again, that handle, that handling, uh, slicing the onion real thin, the handling difference doesn't really matter. So in this realm, I'm just going straight to get a G35 coupe with a manual transmission. Okay. You get a way better interior. You're still well under 10 grand for a, a clean one with you know mileage in the 75,000 range for eight or 9,000 all day long. And I think that's the better Z car for what you're going to use it for. Because there's no mountain passes. You don't talk about tracking. You don't talk about autocross. So you're not going to care about the slightly longer wheelbase and the extra 250 pounds of sound deadening. What you will care about is that it's a lot nicer place to sit when you are going to do that drive. And it's still going to be fun just to take out and have a nice, clean car to drive around. They hold up really well. So I think that's kind of my silver bullet. I got a couple other wild cards. I mean, you could go 300ZX like a Z32 like Todd used to have. Yeah, you could go back. I I don't know. I mean, it's I love them personally, but I don't know that this is necessarily the car. It's more just that whole like 80s, early 90s thing. But my wild card, in because you love that IS three hundred so much, what about like a nineties Lexus SC three hundred or four hundred? That beautiful, clean, smooth coupe they made from like ninety three to ninety nine. The three hundred had the two JZ engine, and you could get a few of them with a manual transmission. It was Correct. like a now, rebodied super in a weird way. Right. It's like it, it's 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 the it's basically the G thirty five coupe to the three fifty Z, but it's with the naturally aspirated That's super. Interesting. Now, the manual transmission ones only came in the 300, not the 400. Correct. So you're looking at the V6, and I do not think that unicorn manual 300 will be 10 grand. I think that's going to be the only one of these cars that ends up being like 24,000 or something absurd, just because people want to make like luxury Supras. But um, huh. if you ditch if you ditch the manual transmission, which I think you're going to have to for your budget, I think you get a pretty cool, interesting, timeless-looking, beautiful. Nice place to be, reliable version of that IS300, but it's going to feel more special when you do drive it than just having another sedan next to the Camry in the garage. So that's my wild card. I, I mean, I really think that the play here is the G35. I think that checks all the boxes. It's got that immediate power off the off the idle. It's it's punchy. It's got really good handling. It still has a you know a, a hydraulic steering rack with good feel and good responsiveness, but it's not going to beat you up. And I would rather be in a G35 personally than a C4 vet. But I think the Corvette's an interesting thing you need to look into. 
Good stuff. Well done, man. Well researched. Well, well done. I like it. I just want everybody to know who is listening that just like Todd and I do not share our recommendations. I did not share. Nate and I did not talk before jumping in here. I just shared Charlie's email with him and said, all right, go come up with some recommendations. All right, cue the overlap then. Cause I mean, it- you did great. <laughs> Well, that that means I think we're going to have some overlap, which I'm actually excited about. Well, I decided to sell the Camry because I went Mm. shopping and I thought, all right, I'm genuinely seeing janky 2013 Camry SEs for 12, like 11.9. But the nice ones (laughs) I found, wow, like $14,000, $15,000. So unknown the condition, but those are in high demand because they do run, Charlie. So I am selling your Camry because I think if you get the third car, the Camry will sit to the point where you're paying insurance for a car you don't drive because you're going to be so enamored with a new one. And I love that you suggested everything, Nate. I love that you went through everything. And I was thinking third car, 10 grand, BMW Z3. I was thinking Boxsters. I was toying with Mercedes SLK 280s with the manual transmission. If you can believe it, you can still find the rare unicorn SLKs, Toyota MR2s. But then I thought, I need more money to spend. I'm going to sell yeah, the Camry. I wouldn't buy a t- I wouldn't buy a $10,000 German car from 20 years ago, period. I mean, <laughs> there's some cool cars in that. There in that, are. There are. But I, don't th- I think if you're looking at that kind of budget, I think Japanese would play in that regard. So I agree with all what you just said. Well, so I thought I'm going to push it to the max. Let's pretend you're going to get fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 for the Camry plus your ten that you're already spending on your third car, which means $25,000 at the high end. Now we're talking – Caymans are within reach. (laughs) Newer Boxsters are within reach. M235Is are a consideration. But Charlie, I threw all that out because that's just, that just seemed like the same old stuff. And you know how you were talking about that C4 Corvette, Nate? I I, I do. With $25,000 to spend, you can now, Charlie, get a ZR1 C4. You want that 80s feel, even though it was built from 1990 to 95. It was designed and engineered in the 80s. And even though the the engine was designed by Lotus, who GM owned at the time, it's a Chevy. It has the same bore centers as the L98 engine. It just has the 32-valve overhead cam engine instead. And I don't think they're going down in value too much anymore to the point where they're a little bit like that NSX you were talking about from seven or eight years ago. And I'm looking at one from GR Auto Gallery of Grand Rapids, Michigan, that I found through Auto Tempest. It is a 1991 ZR1 in torch red with 63,000 miles for 24.9. ZR1, so buddy, for 25 the, the, those, grand. I, those ZR1s had what, like 390 horsepower or something three, like that? 375 fully revved out, but. Oh, that's, that's, that's a lot for that car. ZR1. You're only doing the Sarasota drive once or twice a week, so you can just eat the gas, whatever the gas money is. Okay, you're not going to care because, Charlie, do it for your three-year-old and your five-year-old boys because when they're grown up, they'll be like, my dad had a ZR1 Corvette. He still has it, and it's gone up in value. And the stories and the bonding and the burnouts, that's what I want (laughs) for you, Charlie. ZR1 is where I went. Is that your is that your silver bullet? You're, that you're, that you're is dropping the mic. That is it. Because I'm um, I'm obsessed with the ZR1, and I'm like, huh? Yeah, I, I've, I mean, I've one. never driven. I'm not as lucky as you. I haven't gotten a chance to drive one of those ZR1s. I've only been in like normal, you know, bone standard uh, everyday C4s. And uh, <sighs> I do agree with most of you guys' points on the C4, where it's like it's. It is. It's better than you think, but it still is kind of what you think in a lot of ways. But the yeah. specialness of that ZR1 is pretty cool. 
So I have to ask you a question. I love that suggestion. I think it's awesome because I, I liked my suggestion, and that's just a better version <laughs> of the same car. Um, I got I to gotta ask you, because 25 grand in Corvette will absolutely buy you a C5 Z06. Now, the special yes. collectible factor is not as much as the C4 ZR1. However, having driven both of them, what would you pick, what would you rather be driving in those two, or ZR1. at least maybe cross drive? Honestly, would you really ZR one because it had the old school muscle car feel, and I could justify even though the interior is going to be squeaky and rattly at some point. Well, so it is. It is in the C five too, which is Fisher yeah. Price. They're they're both terrible inside. They're both terrible, and I, I just I would go ZR one just because the specialness of that car go back up in value sooner than the Z. Z06, C5. Oh, the Z06 will not go up in value because all people are just buying them. All they're doing is buying them for like track and autocross use and beating them to death. So, no, and no one's doing that with C4 ZR1s or very few people. So I actually, I I back your play there. That's pretty cool. I mean, I I have a soft spot in my heart for the C5 Corvette because it's the last Corvette I can actually fit in enough to drive. Oh, right. Um, You've got the torso thing like Todd, don't you? Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. No one one in their right mind should be born six foot or should grow to six foot two and only have like a 32 inch inseam. It's it's freakish and it's terrible for car heights. Just drag your nose um, around on the ground. Basically. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, headroom's the worst. Um, I always have to, every time you guys review something, I always have to talk to Todd and be like, okay, how did you do in it? And he's like, uh, I think you're going to have a hard time with the helmet. And I'm like, yeah, I couldn't even get, I can't even get my head inside a C7. So, like, things like that. But the C5 I like a lot, so that's kind of where I'm at. But, no, I agree. The the, the C4 Z, or ZR1 could be a legitimate I hate to use the word investment, but as far as a money stake, kind of like Todd Lotus is, it's like, it's always just going to be 25 grand and maybe it goes up. Maybe it doesn't, but that car isn't going to like suddenly be worth $7,800 in four years. Right. Whereas that, that, that C5 might be pretty cheap in a right. few more years. And most ZR1s no. of that era, I think were just cruised around in. they weren't hammered on three inches wider Lotus engine. It's a Chevy. Yeah. There's quirks and rattles and squeaks, but I think for the most part, everything will just continue to work. Even though it feels like it doesn't, it just it will. It'll keep working. You push that junk button, you know, every does only one thing kind of button. Yeah. Just, I think it'll – and like I said, at this point, I don't know that they're going to plummet further just like you're talking no, about. No, so, they're going to hang out. You're right. So, okay, you, you found one for what, 24 what? 24.9, torch red. Oh, it's got good. super cheese ball red interior. But, I mean, come on. It's a ZR1. Why not? No, and 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 and, and Charlie has $100 left over. Maybe more if he can negotiate, but he has at least $100 to buy white New Balance and some jean shorts. <laughs> That's the Corvette like uniform, right? I'm not sure I want to see that photo, but Charlie, <laughs> that's, that's where we're at. You've heard us talk about drive homework because it's vital to drive a lot of things when trying to find your next car. Knowing your options is important. This applies to online shopping too. You don't want to search just one website unless that site is searching all of the other ones for you. That's why we love Auto Tempest. I know you've heard us talk about it before, and we hope you've already seen how far you can shop with just one search. Auto Tempest pulls from all the top used car sites at once, so you know you won't miss a deal on that perfect car. Autotempest.com. All the cars. One search. We've got to jump to questions. <laughs> and, Nate, you had one here. Let's see. There was one on Facebook, actually, from Barbara P. 
she's asking you about licensing and safety in general. She's still got her license, but hasn't ridden years. And she said the group she used to ride with had several close calls. Do you feel that safety while riding is about the same or has it gotten worse? I, I saw this and it's a really good question. Um, it's hard because I have been riding consistently, you know, between like four and 8,000 miles per year, which I get about five or six months of season in. So that's a lot. I spend a lot of time on a bike and I, I do consistently. So I found that while every year my skills, my awareness, my radar, and like you always talk about the people like you can walk when you're driving your car, Paul, that you can tell if they're going to like, I found they're on their phone, if they're wavering or not. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But like my radar for that is ridiculous because I don't want to die. Um, so <laughs> don't die, don't die, don't die. Right. I, I, I feel honestly like every year I have less and less close calls than the year before as I grow as a rider. But that might be that my radar just gets stronger and stronger and I'm anticipating and I'm not putting myself into bad situations as often as I was when I was younger. So in my personal experience, I actually feel like it's less of an issue on a day-to-day basis than it used to be because I'm more comfortable and I just feel like I'm not having those instances as often. And I won't speak to her friends or her groups with their experience of, well, I'm not going to do that because I obviously don't know. But sure. I can't say that it's getting better with people being more distracted driving. I, I feel like maybe it's equal or it is worse. She's probably right. And I think that, you know, constant vigilance on the bike is a really good way of um, combating that. But if it's a concern, I do think it's a valid concern. And yeah, I mean, people aren't less distracted now behind the wheel. So I would say yeah, that magically we're all less distracted. Right. Right. I would say that her concern is valid. I, I my, like I said, my personal experiences, I feel like it's better for me, but I'm not. But I do worry more for new riders now than I used to, say, 15, 20 years ago. Interesting. All right. Combat conductor on Instagram says, when is a rebuilt or salvage title car worth a second look when your plans to get rid of it or to move on from it are not the same as normal car buying. When you know that you're not going to get the same kind of money out of it and you don't have those expectations going into the purchase and you know you might get $0 for it. You might have to give it away and make it a tax write-off. It might stop running and it's just get rid of it, donate it, junkyard, whatever. When you can have that mindset that's when it's worth a second look. If you don't bring the, I got to get my money back out of it mindset to the table when buying, that's when you can. Rebuilt title, well, it really just depends. If you can find out the history, some rebuilt titles are like, ah, that's no big deal. I can do that. But you still cannot have those expectations to get your money back out of it, even though you're probably getting a deal because it is already a rebuilt or salvage title. But if you have a different mindset walking in when you want to move on from the car, get rid of it, or you're giving it away or something like that, then that's when you can say, all right, I can consider it. Otherwise, run away. Don't expect to get your money back out of it or get anything close to a decent price for it. Yeah, I agree. I think if it were me, the only thing that ever appeals to me for something like that is if you already know you're going to like turn it into a track car. So you're going to like, quote unquote, ruin it and ruin its value the day you get it because you're going to rip out the interior, put a cage in it. And if it's if you find the history of that salvage title or rebuilt title, then it was something that isn't like structural and the car is sound. And if you get it checked out or something and you still want to do it. But like I wouldn't 
I wouldn't rock one of those as like my main means of conveyance, but it could be a really cheap project car or something. But like you said, Paul, you, you're never going to get money out of it. It will only be a, a nearly useless thing. But if you can turn that useless thing into something that you want to get for cheap, fine. But it is not an investment. Yeah. Hey, you had a question on here from Den16SB, who's been motorcycle shopping for a while and has been told to start with a 600 instead of a 300. Would you agree with that? Okay, so... This is tough because I can only assume, and if I'm wrong, this changes the answer, but I can only assume most people when they refer to a 600 motorcycle are referring to a 600 like sport bike, basically a race replica 600, uh, you know, what a lot of people use the term crotch rocket, which I don't really like, but sure. that's what they're, that's what generally is referred to as a 600. Right, right. Now, if that's what you're talking about, no. That is possibly the worst thing I could recommend to you. I mean, there's there's a, a couple worse things, but that's a bad idea. They are, I mean, these bikes are made to basically do racing, and they are street legal because they have to be, like homologation, like the rally cars and stuff. Right. But they're really not user friendly on the road. They're horribly uncomfortable. They have really high peaky uh, power bands, and for a newcomer they can get really fast really quickly. And I just, I, I don't think it's a good idea. I mean, they, they require a lot more skill than a lot of other bikes. Now, a 300 is sort of jumping to the entry-level road legal class. There is a, like nine categories of performance between your two options, those bookends here. <laughs> yeah, so, say, I'm not gonna, so I'm going to say absolutely not, given that those are the two choices. But... There are some 600s that are like parallel twin 600s that Honda and Kawasaki make and Yamaha makes like a 700 now that are like 52 horsepower or something, which sounds like a lot. But really, I feel like that is something you can kind of take it easy with for the first few months and grow into. And those are completely different, even though the engine size is the same or similar. Those are completely different animals than a 600 race replica track bike. And yeah. that absolutely do not get into. And that's actually, yeah, I, I think it's a horrible idea. Yeah, <laughs> I, well, I've, I've heard the same thing. As you know, I started my career with Kawasaki and started learning about sure. bikes then. And the common thing was, oh, you're going to get tired of low power really quickly. So don't start at a 300. Don't start at a 600. Get yourself a 750. Like, really? Like, yeah. 750 is a really hot bike. Not to mention everything on up from there. And that was when the Hayabusa had come out and everybody was sure. you know, in the arms race, of course, then. And it's only increased since then. But I just thought, really? Because I experienced a lot of bikes. We could leave our cars in the parking lot and check out a bike from, you know, right there in the shop and just take a bike yeah. for the weekend and ride Pacific Coast oh, Highway. And it was, it was great. I, I so cool. It was wonderful. But I certainly learned a lot really quickly. And the difference in how a bike makes power between the cruisers that were surging then, the cruiser bike was starting <laughs> to surge. A 600 cruiser bike makes power very differently than a 600 whatever else. And so, it, it like you said, it kind of depends on how it makes power, the weight of the bike, all those things. So yeah. it's, it, it's not a blanket statement by any stretch. Well, it's, I mean, okay, it, for example, it's like, what, what is the displacement of a Formula One engine these days? It's small. I mean, it's they're not tiny. large. It's 1.6, I think. It, exactly. But that's like saying my first, or, that's like saying my first car was a 1.6 liter Honda. 
<laughs> and do you mean a Civic or the Honda-powered Formula One engine? <laughs> right, or the engines that power the Red Bull. Completely. So th- that's what I mean. It's like, and that's kind. Of, and that may sound extreme, but that's kind of exactly what I'm talking about. It's like there's different ways to cook a 600, but one of them is a Formula One car, or let's just say an Indy car, because there are faster bikes in that out, but not too many. And the other one is something that would be a, a fine choice. Like my wife's first bike, she had a, a Honda Shadow 600. Hmm. And and she was looking at, we were looking at getting her like a 250. Uh, she wanted a cruiser and she was looking at the 250s. And I told her, I said, look, like physically, how much heavier is this 600? And she's like, it's it's not that much different. Like they're both, they both feel okay. I can tip it up and buy it. I said, well, then let's just go get the 600 then because then at least we won't be selling the 250 in two months and we'll keep the 600 for a while. Right. And I knew that it wasn't something that was going to overwhelm her. I mean, it's still not a powerful motorcycle, but she wasn't thinking between like a Ninja 300 and a Ninja 600, which are... <laughs> right. There's a golf. It's, it's a Honda Fit versus a new NSX hybrid with 600 horsepower. Like, that's the difference you're talking. It's crazy. crazy. All right. Well, there's, uh, what else did you find in here? One of my best friends is trolling me, and he says, if Nate was forced to choose a vehicle made by BMW or have no vehicle at all, which pedal bike brand would he ride to work? I saw that. I was wondering about that. I thought, okay, so there's some inside joke here that I'm missing. Well, you've heard my BMW story, but he's heard all – he lived through it. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. I, and for the viewers out there, I, I'm not a huge fan of BMW cars. I, if I become a semi-occasional guest here, I will almost never recommend them. <laughs> I just had a bad experience. And it wasn't like I had a lemon car, which I kind of did, but the the way that I was treated with that car with problems mm. from the company itself has turned me away from ever wanting to own a BMW car. And that, mm. whatever, okay. uh, neither here nor there. So the joke is basically that I would never, ever want one, so I'd rather ride a bike. But right. as we discussed earlier, I don't like riding bicycles. So, so my, funny to me. Just... My cheating answer is that uh, I actually like BMW motorcycles a great deal. So Do? that's what I would. Oh, yeah. They're awesome. Um, okay. And, <laughs> More yeah. I love it. Right. I know. I know. Uh, I, I, I'm a fan of BMW motorcycles on the whole. So that's my cheat answer. But, um, yeah, it, he's just being funny. Uh, the only There's a few BMWs that I love enough that I would probably make an exception for. My favorite one of all time that I would probably just buck the trend if I were so inclined would be like an E39 M5. I love that car. Yeah, I think it's like, nice. the, it's like the best looking sedan of all sports sedan of all time. I still think it's awesome. And, yes, the newer ones are faster, but I don't think they're any cooler. Okay. Well, would you own a 2011 1M, the Unicorn? No. You wouldn't? Have you driven this car? No, but I owned a 1 Series, and that was the one that turned me off, so there's no way I could even... Look, my wife would, like, divorce me if I even entertained the idea of bringing a 1 Series in, because I could tell her all the things. No, no, this is the 1M, and it's the Unicorn. She's like, it looks just like my old car. We are not getting that car, or you are finding a new place to live. Because... So... <laughs> okay. I'm just going to leave that like, right there. I'm not going to touch it. I could possibly talk her into, like, an E36 or something, or an E39. Like, no, no, this is a whole different era. This is a whole different BMW, but there's no way I can bring a one series in the garage and honestly the ptsd of me just looking at it and god forbid we get it in a gray color which was what hers was that i'd actually would like do a double take and have a half a heart attack every time i walked in the garage because right, i hate twitch yeah absolutely awesome. all right just a couple more questions <laughs> for me here on facebook ed hayes says you're in charge of collaboration between kia and porsche what do you make ed i have your answer and that is porsche brings back the 550 
but they just provide the chassis and the chassis tuning and the engine. So we, we do put the, the four-cylinder in, in it, flat four. But leave it to Kia to finish things off because it doesn't need to have $30,000 in Porsche options. It needs to be accessible and, and attainable and still finished well. And Kias do that. And that's what we found by the build quality and the fit and finish of Kias. So I would say the 550 Spider, bring that back in a modern small car for us enthusiasts. And to keep the price down, it's finished off and the rest of it is built by Kia. How does that sound? I love I love that question. And I, I, I totally agree. Um, here's what I was thinking. So this made me think about the whole collaboration thing because it's becoming more prevalent. And ironically, because I'm all about irony today, apparently, um, <laughs> my favorite, my favorite collaboration and my least favorite collaboration are my two bookends, but it's odd because my, my least favorite type of collaboration is the 86 twins, which is one of my favorite cars. I own one. I love them. But yep. I don't like that they're like the exact same car. Like, what's the point? It's like the whole Cavalier Sunfire thing in like the early 2000s and oh, late 90s. Like, I haven't like, heard I, that I, forever. I, I haven't heard that name, right. Sunfire. Ugh. Yeah. Um, so, but, but my favorite types of these collaborations are when they kind of come up with something a little bit different, like the Supra and the Z4. So what I love about the Supra and the Z4 is, is that, yeah, I mean, whatever. We can talk about how much it's a Toyota or a BMW, but that's irrelevant. The, the point is they came out with, they did a lot of part sharing, but they came out with two distinctly different products. And I love that because they're not cross shopping each other so much, but they still benefited from that, that sharing. So and unlike the Subaru and Toyota thing where it's like a new bumper and automatic climate control is the only difference. Right. Uh, so I just didn't get it. It's like they're, they're cannibalizing each other. And honestly, the owner's group arguing over which one is better has just been ridiculous for the last seven and a half years. Funny. But so the whole Porsche Kia thing, right? I, I think that they should um, mix and match, but make divergent products as the end result that share a middle ground. And even more so than you were saying, right? So, so let's say it's your idea for a 550 and it's a Porsche. It's got the four cylinder engine. Yeah. So, okay, right. So take that chassis and give it to Kia. They put the four cylinder turbo from their Veloster N in there. So it's not even the same driving experience as the, as the, as the, uh, the Porsche version and the interior and exterior sheet metal are done by Kia. So it can follow Kia's kind of design language they got going on and I it can like be its that. own unique thing you took and have further. their, yeah. And have their interior, you know, their people do the interior for the most part. I mean, obviously there's going to be some shared stuff, but, but again, uh, it, it can be more divergent than just like, here's a new badge and a new color list and a new set of wheels. I mean, honestly, Volkswagen and, and Porsche were talking about this years ago by I doing like a, a baby boxer, like a 550 then. And the the um, the poor people in us, we were excited. I was excited. I was literally like getting ready to drop a deposit down like 10 years ago because they were going to make basically the baby boxer, the 550. Yeah. But they were going to give it to Volkswagen and Volkswagen was going to put that GTI two liter turbo in the in the mid engine of it. And I was like and they were supposedly going to be around 30 to 35,000. I'm like, done. Sign me up. I'm good. Yeah. There's still and I mean, a yes. market for that. There's still oh, yeah. it would be bought. So that's totally what I mean. I'm right there with you, but I go a little further. I'd actually make them more divergent because I, I get that Porsche does not want a Kia car basically having their same car. Like if it were Subaru and Toyota, and 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 you know the the BRZ is slightly better trimmed out than an FRS or an 86. I wouldn't. I don't think Porsche would ever want the Kia to be nearly as good, and no one will want to pay only five grand less for the Kia if it's really close to the same engines. Right. But if it's right. just the chassis sharing, 
I mean, Kia, the Kia one could be 38,000. I mean, maxed out, loaded up 30 to 35, maybe, or something like that. It could do it because the rest of their parts are. And the Porsche one could start at 49 and no one gets hurt because no one's cross-shopping those two. If you got 50 grand, you're not going to buy the Kia. And if you got 35, you're not in the market to buy the Porsche, which is going to inevitably be 68,000. Oh, that's good. I do like that a lot. These are the things that keep me up at night. We're creating it. All right. uh, Let's (laughs) see. Tristan WK, last question for me here. He says, are there any commonly used features in modern car design that make you cringe? Besides piano black. Yeah, piano black. It's more of a a thing that bugs me, and that is the endless variance of the scallop or shape that is just behind the front wheels on that front quarter panel before the door. (laughs) And you can always see where to save money, the stamping, whatever that washout does ends before it starts into the door. Because if you have to continue it through the door, guess what? That makes the door stamping more expensive. If you can end it before, well, then the door can just be smooth and flat and, and just gone. But I get it. Don't save, you know, or do save money. And then he also says, could you get drunk? Could you guys get drunk and make a video where Todd does a design fix and Paul tries to talk movies? If we're just going to talk about explosions and power tools and fire trucks and more explosions, I I could do that. Plot, yeah, <laughs> that's going to be that's going to be a disaster. But Todd, I will say he does have the ability to express ideas, even though it's you know I wouldn't say it's crude, but he can get his ideas across. When he's been drawing things for me, I turn him like, wow, this is actually pretty good. It's pretty explanatory. So you never know. I might come up with a plot. I might be able to talk plot here. I hate the whole like blacked out C or D pillar in the whole floating roof thing. I, I want it to go away. Oh, I hated it. That's the Nissan one. thing. And even Aston Martin ruined their, their otherwise beautiful car with it. I, I just can't stand it. I don't get it. I hate, I think they all look terrible and I want it to burn. <laughs> well, there you go. Thank you for being on, man. Really enjoyed chatting with you. I loved hearing about your road trip. There were details in there that I didn't even know after the fact, after you came and saw us, there were, well, because I didn't know about most of them. This one I didn't plan, and it was like literally like a that morning surprise. The only reason I knew enough to tell you when I was going to show up is because I, to- I said, I need to know when we're going to go through Park City so I can tell my friends. Otherwise, right. I wouldn't have even known that. It was The whole thing was just a roller coaster of surprises. Really but, appreciate you stepping in here. Just Thank you so yeah. much for having me. Hopefully, I haven't annoyed people with my voice and talked your ear off. <laughs> no. and. Hog the microphone because it's my uh, my one time on the show. So, no, it's uh, good because we rarely talk bikes, and we consider you our resident bike expert. So absolutely, well, it's absolutely, great. it's been a pleasure, and thank you for having me. Yeah, man, absolutely. Well, if you've got your topic Tuesday car conclusions or your car debates, I am asking for those continually. We've got to get to more car conclusions because you guys are sending in your stories, which is great. So thank you for that. We've got more social media questions here than we can answer, but we'll have to get to a few more of those in the, in future podcasts. Guys, thank you so much and really appreciate it. I cannot wait for you to see the new content. I'm telling you, there were drone shots in there and I'm seeing far peaks of mountains I had never seen. So that is Saturday, July 25, starting in an area called Capitol Reef National Park in central Utah. So guys, really appreciate it. Looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone.